All right. If you guys have a Bible with you, please open it to Acts chapter 1. We're continuing our series in Acts that we started last week, and we will be here for a little little while, like a minute, minute. Um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, it will the text will be on the screen. We're going to be starting in verse 12 uh, and going through verse 26 today. That is Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Let's pray before we begin. God, we pray that we can look in your word and this, this history that we see of your people, inspired by your Holy Spirit, and that it would encourage, inspire, and guide us in how to be your people right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I used to play in a band for my first career, and we argued over nearly everything. What are we going to wear on stage? Let's argue about it for three hours. You know, like, like that, that, what are we going to do for dinner? This, the, these were important things that we had to make sure we fought out. And, um, and I remember there was one time when, when we would, we would work on an album, it was like knocked, everything was knocked down, dragged out. We were very hard headed, uh, young men. And there was one time I actually wasn't, didn't care about this particular one, but I, I even forget what it is. It was either, does a certain song go on the record, or should the album cover be yellow or blue? It was something important like that, right? It was worth, worth dying for. Um, and so two of our members, you know, let's just do, go with the album cover. One was like, it must be yellow. The other was like, it must be blue, you idiot. And, and, and this, it went on in this sort of productive fashion for a long time, and someone had the idea, well... You know, we're not getting anywhere this way. So why don't we pray and we'll just ask God, you know, what color should our album cover be? And, um, and, and so, so we did. We, we prayed, God, we want, we want to honor you with this record and, and da-da-da. And please tell us what, what color it should be. And so we sat in silence for a while. We had time on our hands. It was, this was on tour. And, um, and then, we, you know, we, we wrap up prayer and... I was like, okay, guys, well, did, did either of you, did anybody hear from God? Like, what, what, what color should the album cover be? And the guy who wanted the blue one said, God, God did speak to me, and the album cover needs to be blue. God told me it should be blue. And I was like, oh. And then the guy who wanted the yellow album cover said, you know, I, I heard from God, too, and God wants the album to be yellow. And I said, guys, I don't want to, like, knock hearing from God or anything, but either one of you didn't hear from God or neither of you did. And I'm going with neither. Uh, you know, <laughs> like, is that, like, I, I think many of us have, have seen situations just like that. Like, how are we supposed to make key decisions that, that honor God and we want to honor God and we want to listen to the Holy Spirit, but how do we do that? Is it like that? Is it just we kind of, kind of go quiet for a while and, oh, God told me what I wanted all along was right. Um, like, is that how we're supposed to make decisions? If you're a young person considering what college to go to and you have a few options, do you just pray and say, God, which one? And if you don't hear a clear instruction, well, what do you do then? You're maybe searching for a job and have options and, and trying to decide what to do or if you should stay at your, your current job or you're in a relationship that looks like it could get more serious. 
And what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to know? How do I, how do I listen to God? I'm going to buy a house. We're going to do something ministry-wise within the church. How do we know how to make the right choice? Is it, is it we just listen and then God tells us and, and then that's the, the choice? Well, now I want to be clear about something. I do believe that the Holy Spirit does speak to believers today. And that that's an important part of, of how we make decisions. But there's a big, there's a couple of big problems. If we're expecting sort of a divine dictation, and if we take that to be kind of like the A number one thing, here's the first problem, is you open, up, open yourself up to all kinds of abuse because a lot of people will pretend to hear the Holy Spirit. And then use that, God told me, for power and manipulation, which results in abuse. Uh, like many of you, I've, I've listened all the way through the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. And there's many examples of this. One of which was the, the pastor of that church who would famously hear from God all the time. I uh, told one of the other campus pastors, you and your wife need to not only resign, but not be in ministry anymore. And he says, and you know what? You don't even need to go pray about it. You know why? I've already heard from Jesus on this. And Jesus told me, you're not supposed to be in ministry anymore. No trial, right? No elders weighing in, just I heard from God, boom, that's it. And they were forced to obey because to stand against such a person who's hearing from God is to stand against God. So the first problem with making this the only way you make a decision is you're, you're, you're open to abuse from people who will pretend to hear from the Holy Spirit. And also, uh, there are people, many people, who sincerely believe they've heard from the Holy Spirit that it then turns out, I was mistaken. Right? I, I'm not, not trying to swipe at, at these folks, but there were a lot of of our charismatic brothers and sisters who were calling the election for Trump a couple of years ago, like prophets. I'm a prophet. That's my job. And God gave me a vision. The Holy Spirit told me, trouble with the election, be back in the White House. It didn't happen. Clearly, and I believe they were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. Okay? They, they, they thought they had heard from the Spirit and turned out to be wrong. There's less extreme examples of that. People who I who I know who, who felt, thought they were called to ministry. Like, yeah, the Holy Spirit told me. And in and, and subsequent, you know, months and years, they're like, okay, maybe not. <laughs> it, it, so even if we sincerely believe we hear from the Spirit, we have to be open to the possibility that we are also mistaken. So how do we make God-honoring decisions if we don't even have that? If we don't even say, well, I didn't really hear from the Spirit. I've kind of kind of got options to decide between how do I do it? And even if we do hear from the Spirit, we've got those other issues. The apostles, remember this, this history of the early church is meant to shape us in the present. Like how did, how did the apostles deal with their first decision without Jesus around? Last week, Jesus ascended and now he's gone. Yes, there's our awesome graphic. What do we do now? How do we do this? We've got a decision to make. Jesus isn't here to tell us. We've got to decide ourselves. What did they have to decide? Well, they had to replace Judas. You see, 
there were 12 apostles, the, the 12, there was apostles besides them, but you had the 12 and that was an intentional number. You know why? They were, they were to be the new people of God, like the 12 tribes of Israel. Currently, they had 11, not a, not a, very, uh, not a very powerful symbol. We are the 11. Um, and so they have, to, they have to decide who's going to replace Judas, and they don't have Jesus around to appoint anybody. What do they do? How do they make this uncertain decision? Well, look with me at verses 12 through 14. They get off to a good start. It says, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went, to the, went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and J- John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So the core disciples, what were they doing? The, the, the language there for devoting themselves to prayer, this is not they spent an afternoon at it. This means for a, for a season, for how, it doesn't say how long, but days and days, they were devoted to prayer. Like the upper room is even, even shows us this. Most houses in, uh, in ancient Palestine and Jerusalem did not have second stories. But the, the, the most of the houses that did would have been a rabbi's house. And the upper room was a room on the roof that was dedicated to prayer and study. So what do we see them do as they're faced with this decision? They're devoted to prayer. I believe that this is, this is the first real key. If we're to make God-honoring decisions without divine dictation, the first thing we need to do is make uncertain decisions shaped by prayer. We need to make uncertain decisions shaped by prayer. Now, I use that word intentionally. I didn't say pray about it. You should pray about it. But it's more important that we are a community and that you are a person shaped by prayer. Because there's a difference between like, hey, I never pray. Then I'm going to ask God, hey, decide this for me or show me the way. The, 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 the more important thing is that we are regularly praying so that we are transformed by prayer, that we're shaped more into who God wants us to be, as, as C.S. Lewis once said. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. It's kind of like um, sometimes when Sharon and I will go out, like we sit down at a restaurant and one of us needs to run to the bathroom. And it's like, well, what if the server comes? You know, what do you want to drink? What appetizer do you want? And we'll say to each other, know me, and then take off. And, and it's kind of saying, hey, how well do you know what I would order? Because we've been, just been around. Like, we almost always nail it. Like, we'll order each other drinks and appetizers and know exactly what the other one wants. Why? We've spent so much time together that we've shaped each other. Okay? That's the idea. Time in prayer shapes us. It teaches us to trust. When you are regularly going to God, when you are regularly engaging with God, it teaches you to trust in God. It also, if... if repentance and and self-examination is part of your regular prayer time, which it does need to be, it helps us to see our own sin patterns and move past them. You want to make a decision that's in step with God's will? We need to move move past our sin patterns, do we not? Also, prayer turns the noise down, right? 
If, if you're wise, you'll turn off all tech to pray. Okay? You turn the noise off. It brings you clarity. It resets the perspective. It, 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 it opens our hearts. If God is going to speak to us or move us in a certain direction, the, the, way, the place it's going to happen is in prayer. But even if we don't get a certain answer from God in prayer, prayer is going to shape us into people who are better able to make a God-honoring decision. But there are also things that you don't need to pray about. There are certain things, that, like decisions to make, that like you don't need to go to prayer on them. They, they are what, what are called no-brainers, right? It's like someone comes and hey, I'm trying to decide. I'm oh, just torn in soul. Should I, should I be part of a church community or like a Sunday morning bowling league? Because, you know, like I go to a Sunday morning bowling league. They play some like CCM music over the speakers. It's kind of like church, I guess. Right? And it's like, ah, oh, just, I just haven't heard from God on this. <laughs> it's like, like no, I could, I could save you the trouble. No, you need to be part of a church community. Not mine, but somewhere. <laughs> right? I think, I think I should be faithful to my spouse, but God hasn't spoken to me on this. It's like, no, don't wait for God to speak to you. Stay faithful to your spouse. I think I need to be generous with my resources and not like be greedy and hoarding it all to myself, but I have not felt the release of the spirit yet. <laughs> Right? There are a lot of, and I hear people do this. Like, I know people who are like, yeah, you know, it's all a blank slate. And I'm just trying to, like, have my radio connection. God says it's, it's okay for me not to forgive this person who sinned against me. Yes, that's what God told me. Don't need to, to do that. But we see, we see next that in, in making this decision, they, they, they work through the no-brainers they, by looking at the word of God. Look with me at verses 15 and following. It says, In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judah. So, so he's like, hey, we do need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Guess what? The entire scripture is the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he talked about the scripture being fulfilled. Now, I want you to remember that word fulfilled. It's key. He says, concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. So, so far, he's saying that Judas did what he did in fulfillment of scripture and that he was allotted a share in the ministry. And then there's a parenthetical couple of verses where Luke is telling Theophilus about Judas it says, now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is field of blood. For, this is Peter speaking again, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So, what is Peter doing here? He's, he's giving guidance on this coming decision by reasoning from Scripture. And this is not surface-level proof texting. He is, he, is, he is looking at the case of Judas in what is called pattern fulfillment. When he says that, that Judas fulfills this, it's not a prophecy of Judas per se. Go with me here, guys. Both of these psalms are Davidic psalms. Okay? 
And both of these verses are talking about those who betray the Davidic king. What should happen? Their possessions should be vacated. And then the next psalm says that it should be given to another person. That's what happens to the, the, those who fulfill the pattern of betraying the Davidic king. I know this is a little deep, but this is how deep Peter's going. And he says, Judas betrayed the Davidic king par excellence. He didn't have any property, but you know what he did have? He had a share in the apostolic ministry. Therefore, it's not ended. It's vacated and given to another. Did you follow that? Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. The, the, the point is, is that Peter is reflecting very deeply on the scriptures. So the way that he is guiding the community and making this decision comes not from a simple surface level proof texting, you know? Hey, we should, we should build a wall because in Nehemiah, they built a wall. It's like, it's not really what it's talking about. But Peter is getting deep into the scriptures, deep into the big picture patterns of the Bible. And if you didn't understand that, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that the Holy Spirit speaks through the word. There are things we don't need to pray about, but need to look to scripture for. And then also we see that Peter looks to guidance, as we should too, to the precedent of Jesus. Look at verses 21 and 22. He says, he says the, the qualifications. This is the stuff we don't have to pray about. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So what are the qualifications? It's someone that ain't new. They were with us from the time that Jesus got baptized to the time that, that, uh, to the time that Jesus ascended and they were a witness to the risen Christ. Okay? Those are the qualifications. So this is the stuff we don't need to pray about. Otherwise... We're considering every person in the world. This narrows it down to about 72 people, okay? So the, the, the next way, without, without God speaking directly, how do you make a decision? It's to be shaped by prayer and also to make uncertain decisions guided by Scripture. And again, I'm not talking about proof texts without context, my, my father-in-law has a joke that he likes to make. He said, do you know that the Bible's in favor of fighting? Anyone who tries to take your stuff? I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, it says, uh, it says in Matthew, if someone tries to take your coat, take off your coat and let them have it. Yeah. It plays. I'll have to tell Joe that that worked still. It's a good joke. But it's bad exegesis. It's bad. It's, it's a bad handling of the word of God. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about when someone says, well, you know, you need to do such and such because this verse says this. I'm talking about deep reflection, careful and responsible interpretation of the word needs to guide us, not, not surface level proof texting. But we want to hear from the Holy Spirit. We have a whole book of the Holy Spirit speaking. Okay, this is where we need to look uh, to, 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 for guidance in, how God, in the way that God wants us to go. We have to ask, I'm making a decision about a job to take or a course in life or a relationship or what have you. Is this in keeping with the principles set down in Scripture? Is this in keeping with God's revealed will in his word? 
That, that, that gets us a long way there. But suppose you've prayed. You're shaped by prayer. Oh, I forgot this one. This is really important. We don't just read the Bible on our own, but we seek counsel from others as well. Okay, so let's say we've done that. We've sought counsel. We've studied the scriptures. We've done our very best, but we still, and we've narrowed the field, but we've got a 50-50 ball down. Like, what do you do? I remember um, Sharon told me I could share this story. She was, she was struggling at a, at a time in her life where she was, she was considering going overseas to do overseas mission. And, uh, and she did that for a while and, and thought she was called to it, but wasn't certain. She was, she was running a, um, a, a, a social services division for a low-income health clinic at the time. So it's not like, it's not like you know, she's a hedge fund manager or something. Hedge fund managing or mission work, you know? It's like, well, uh, not that hedge fund managing is bad. As far as I know, I don't really understand what it is, but... <laughs> She had a 50-50 decision, and she sat down with a friend of ours who's a pastor, and whose name's Scott. She's like, Scott, I'm really struggling with this decision. Like, I want God to tell me, do I go, should, do I stay or go? And, and Scott, <laughs> this, was, this is pretty brilliant. I should probably use this at some point. He says, okay, pretend I've got a gun to your head, and I'm going to count down from 10. You have to decide, one or the other, 10. And Sharon's like, uh, I can't decide. He says, doesn't matter, you're dead. <laughs> Like, we so, we so want an easy button, don't we? Like, we have this difficult decision, and we're like, God, just take this decision out of my hands. It's unconscionable to us that, that you or me could make an actual decision, have the responsibility given to us by God to make an actual decision that impacts your church that impacts your business, that impacts your family, that impacts your life. So how do they make a final decision? Let's see. Let's see if God intervenes and gives them a, you should, it should be this dude, right? All right. So first of all, they do a good job narrowing it from 72 to 2. Look at verse 23 with me. It says, they put forward two, Joseph called Bersabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. Okay, so that's pretty good work. He went from 72 potential candidates to two, but now they've got a 50-50 ball. They prayed and said, you Lord who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. So they're, they're doing their best to rely on the, the sovereignty of God. They believe that, that God is able to, 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 he knows the hearts of both of these and he wants one of them. Please show us. And, and look at verse 25. It says, to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And what do they do? They cast lots for them. Now this seems like a give up. They're like, let's just flip a coin. Uh, it is kind of what they're doing, but but you have to understand that in the, in the ancient world, in both the, the Jewish world and the Roman world, they, they did this. When, they, when they, they, were, they couldn't get any further with the decision, what they would do is they would write the options on stones, put them in a jar, shake them, dump one out, first one that hits the ground is, is the choice. Literally, this is how Rome doled out governorships. It'd be like, okay, we've got Judea, we've got Cisalpine Gaul, Transalpine Gaul, 
all right, Paulus, you get Cecil Pine Gall. Like, that's how they did it, right? When, when all other things are equal, they, they went with lots. Now, they were going with lots in the hope that, like, God would make the right lot fall out. Okay, that was, this is a way they're trying to depend on sovereignty. And also, they're using the best tools they've got. Like, we're like, no, you should have a democratic election. I'm not sure it gets a better result than the lots. Okay, they're doing the best with what they have. And, and lastly, we, we see that the lot, they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now, this is just one of those unfortunate things that doesn't, doesn't make it into translation. The word for numbered means elected. Okay, so not only were they casting the lot, but then it, there had to be a final approval from the, the people who were empowered to vote. Okay, so it wasn't purely random. But what are they doing? They're doing their best with the tools that they've got. Did God speak? I want it to be this one. (laughs) Now, I want to caution us here. And this is always a a tricky thing when you're interpreting Acts, is is there's non-overlap here. Okay, You and I will never replace one of the 12. That's not on our list of things to do. And also, we do not live in between the period of Christ's ascension and, and Pentecost. Okay? And some commentators I read said, this is totally irrelevant to the church today. I'm like, then why would Luke put it in? <laughs> you know, you could have just skipped on to Pentecost because that's what comes next. This is clearly here for our instruction and to shape us. It's to show, because where do we overlap? Sometimes we might hear from the Holy Spirit. But a lot of the time, we we are tasked with making decisions as a church, as a human, as a person, as a head of household. We are tasked with consequential decisions. And we don't get to hear directly from God in all cases. And even when we do, there's often not confirmation that we're right. We're all in a position like, the, 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 like these folks of having to make uncertain decisions. So how do we do it? Not only do we make uncertain decisions shaped by prayer, guided by scripture, but also in humble reliance on God's sovereignty. On humble reliance. In humble reliance on God's sovereignty. And, and that, that also goes for even when we're sure we've heard from the Holy Spirit, by the way. Like, you, you've, you're, you're sure God's pointing you this way? Hold that humbly. Remain in humble reliance. Let it not be uh, that we, that, that, that we kind of go off, like, so sure, so confident that we're not willing to listen. All we can actually do is our best in humble reliance on God's sovereignty. Right? Like, I, um, I'm very high on the process we have uh, courtesy of our denomination, the PCA, for, for selecting governors. Okay, we have a constitution. It's been field tested for hundreds of years. Like, here's how you do it. You do nominations. You do, you know, like, like, like all these qualifications, da-da-da, long process that, that, that has a lot of oversight and a lot of opportunities to catch mistakes. I think it's a good process. It's, it's, it's based on scripture. It's field tested. It's all those things. And I have seen people become deacons and elders in the PCA that should not be deacons and elders in the PCA. It's even even a good process, a prayerful, 
dependent on God's sovereignty process can get it wrong. Not in our governors, though. Those are all rock solid. I'll go to the bank on any of those. <laughs> but we need, to, we need to have a humble reliance on God's sovereignty. That we're doing the best that we possibly can with the tools that we have. That we're shaped by prayer. That we're guided by scripture. And, and here's, the, here's, here's why all that makes sense. It's because even... Our uncertain decisions are part of God's sovereign plan. Even our uncertain, perhaps wrong decisions are part of God's sovereign plan. Where do we see that in the text? You know, like, so they choose Matthias to replace Judas. He becomes, like, this is a consequential decision. Do you know what we see Matthias do later in the book of Acts? Nothing at all. Neither good nor bad. It's almost as if, Luke is leaving it purposefully ambiguous whether or not they made the right choice. Just like many of the choices we'll have to make. We might never know this side of glory whether or not we made the right choice. We are in a position where we have to say, okay, God's plan goes forward and it includes this imperfect, uncertain decision. Because you know what is certain in the book of Acts? That in the first chapter, Jesus said to the 12, you guys are going to be my witnesses. You're going to witness to my resurrection in Jerusalem. That's the capital city where they were. In Judea, the surrounding area. In Samaria, the closest neighbor to the ends of the earth. Do you know what we see happen in the book of Acts? They become his witnesses. In Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria. And by the time we're getting to the end of the book of Acts, the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth. God accomplishes his plan, including and incorporating this uncertain decision, whether it was right or wrong. Our uncertain decisions are part of God's plan. And that seems so crazy to us. How could God be taking his perfect plan and include something as flawed as the decisions we make. <laughs> it's kind of like, um, it, well, this is going to sound way cooler. It actually is pretty cool. I was in Basel, Switzerland after speaking once. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, gosh. It's true, but I'm not that cool. It was cool, but I shouldn't have been doing it. Anyway. I was in Basel, Switzerland. I had a little time, and it's like, what do I go do? And they said, well, go to the, go to the Jean Tingley Museum. I'd never heard of Jean Tingley. Um, but he was apparently a pioneer of what's called kinetic sculpture. So he would make sculptures that moved. But what he would do, it was really interesting. He, he, he didn't, like, go to the store or whatever. He would go to shut down factories, find things, old motors, old car parts, um, random, you know, iron rods and gates and all that stuff, just stuff that's thrown away, stuff that's broken. And, and he would take it and he would put it all together into these room-filling, gigantic, in many cases very funny, in some cases super scary sculptures. And I remember going around the, the museum and, and like he had taken all these car parts and he was a big, like, Formula One race fan. And you'd walk into the room, and, and this pile of junk jumps up off the ground and starts spinning like it's a race car tracky thing. 
right? All this from junk. He takes all these imperfect things and, and, and includes it in his vision. Then there was one, he, there was a, apparently a fire at a barn out, out by his house and he went and he got like old rusted doors and burnt wood and like cow skulls because cows had died. This is terrifying. But like you walk in and a cow skull jumps up off the ground and it has these like rusted truck door wings and it's like spinning around. It's like, oh, this is terrifying. But it's awesome that he took these imperfect things and used it as part of his vision. It's the same idea as that, yes, we make uncertain, potentially flawed or mistaken decisions. And God will use it as part of his plan. Now that's, first of all, an encouragement for us to make responsible decisions, right? Shaped by prayer, guided by scripture, in humble reliance on God's sovereignty and power. But it's also a comfort. It's a relief that even if I make the wrong choice, God will still accomplish his plan of redemption for me. He's still going to accomplish his plan, uh, whatever he has for our church, for your family, and, and for the world, including our imperfect and uncertain decisions. Please pray with me. God, we thank you that we can rest. We can rest in your sovereign plan that you don't need us to be perfect. You don't need us to make perfect choices. That though we want to honor you with our choices, that though we want to be faithful in our choices, even when we fail, you will still accomplish your plan of rescue. We thank you and praise you for this and pray that you would empower us as people, as as members of a church community, as members of families, as people with responsibilities to dispense. That we will remember and be comforted by and encouraged that even our uncertain decisions are used in your perfect plan. In Jesus' name, amen.